Welcome, my friends, to the That's Ball Folks podcast. I'm your host, Josh Reynolds. This is season two, episode five. I don't even know where to begin. It has been forever. I am recording this sitting on my couch that I've been laying on for the last 10 days. I'll talk about that in detail. And everything else that we've got to recover. Joel Embiid, he's not the only one who had surgery. Luca drops 73. Players are punching each other and getting arrested now. Caitlin Clark shattering records. The trade deadline came and went. Kevin Durant all of a sudden's a rapper now. Clay Thompson's coming off the bench now. Doc Rivers is the coach of the Bucks now. I mean, if you want to call it coaching. Uh, All-Star weekend just ended. Kenny Smith is the worst. Chuck hates homeless people. And we'll do a little college basketball check-in. How's everybody doing, man? My goodness, I've missed doing these. Um, let me first off explain why it has been several weeks uh, since I've put out another episode. And it will all make sense. If you don't follow me on social media, I talked about it in detail of what happened. Uh, pretty rough. So we'll start from the top. I talk about this a lot, but I hoop. I play pickup basketball pretty regularly. Um, and I love it. I play with my friends. I play when I'm on the road. Like, try to play all the time. So I get a text from one of my best friends, Skitty, that's like, hey, you want to go hoop up uh, in Salt Lake at the Delta Center, which is where the Jazz play. And of course, I'm like, yes, I would love nothing more. Uh, only problem, had a family dinner that night. So I bring it up to my wife. I'm like, yo, I got invited to play at the Delta Center, but we've got this family dinner uh, for my brother-in-law for, for his birthday. I'm like, what? Like, eh, I don't think I'm going to go. And she's like, and she, I'm not blaming her, but she talked me into it, and she'll be the first one to admit it. She said, hey, no, like, go play. How often do you go play at the Delta Center? Go do it. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So get up there. A great bunch of dudes, dudes I haven't seen or hooped with in forever, Loved playing. We had the court for like two hours. Um, one of them has a hookup up there. Anyway, awesome. Again, I am not this guy to pat myself on the back, but I was playing pretty well. <laughs> We're like a little over an hour in, and uh, and I'm hooping. We're playing great. We're, we don't have enough guys. Well, we do have enough guys, but we're all getting older and out of shape, so we're not playing full court. But we did like a, uh, a three, uh, was it three on three, four on four, I think. Four on four half court tournament. And obviously on NBA court, it's it's massive, right? So, so much bigger than just like your typical Y or church gym or wherever you play. So having a blast. Love it. I go up for a rebound, and I knew I was all alone. And I jump, get the board, come down, and as I land and plant, I feel as though somebody kicks me as hard as they could in the back of the calf, right in the back of the leg, my left leg, and immediately fall down because it hurt really bad, and I immediately knew, I just knew. I knew because I have heard the story so many times and from athletes like Kobe and KD and all these dudes who have tore their Achilles before of what that sounds like, what it feels like, what everything happens. Like, uh, again, not to get too detailed, but I literally could feel it like rolled up my, my back of my leg and I knew it. I knew it immediately. 
So I kind of went through the pretty quickly. I went through all like stages of emotions. I was stunned. I was emotional because I'm like, oh, no, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I can't believe it. I think I said I can't believe this. No way. Multiple times mixed in with some swearing, I'm sure. And then all of a sudden it just like became numb. Couldn't feel it. And once it got to that point, then I'm like, like I'm, I'm myself. So like, I'm not, I, I wasn't in pain. It was weird. So, um, my buddies who I was hooping with, they were giving me a hard time. Like, yo, you want to go out and shoot some free throws? Like go shoot your free throws like Kobe. And as if I could not respect Kobe Bryant even more than I do now, the fact that he tore his Achilles, got up, kind of flexed it a couple times, moved it back and forth, felt on the back of his leg, walked to the bench, walked back out to the free throw line, made both his free throws, and then walked off the court all on his own, is truly remarkable. Now, I don't know how many of you have, listening to this have ever tore your Achilles before, but I couldn't put any weight on my foot. I tried, and it felt like, it, for lack of better ways to put it, it almost felt like my the bottom of my calf muscle was like hitting the ground, if that makes any sense. I don't know. But again, the fact that Kobe did that is just unbelievable and kind of funny. Uh, I was wearing Kobe Bryant's shoes, the exact ones that he tore his Achilles in. I tore my left Achilles, which is the same one that he tore. And I was damn near on the same place of the NBA floor as he tore his. So another silver lining my friends kept telling me is like, yo, you joined an elite company. You tore your Achilles on an NBA floor. How many people have done that? Only only NBA people. So it's been brutal. Uh, I that This was, what, three weeks ago, I think? Um, and I tore it on a Saturday night. And we immediately, my we went to the ER. My wife insisted we go to the ER. They, the doctor takes my shoe off, doesn't even do any scans, feels with his hand. He's like, yep, like you tore it. I can feel it right here. I'm like, great. Um, I was going to Europe on the following Monday uh, for my, my younger sister got married in Sweden. It was great. But I asked the ER doctor, I'm like, yo, can I still go? Like, I've got everything booked. This is a big deal. I'd like to go. And he's like, yeah, like it can't get worse. Just when you're on the long flight, we flew nonstop to London, like get up, walk around, just make sure like you get some blood flowing. I'm like, all right, cool. So I was gone for a week in Europe, came back, went and saw this, the, uh, orthopedic surgeon. He's like, yo, we got, we're like, we're doing surgery tomorrow morning. I'm like, well, great. So it's been about 10 days again, posted up on the couch, but because I have been posted up on the couch, uh, and I'm 10 days out. So the pain is not as bad. I've watched everything. I have seen every possible thing that has come on uh, TV that has come through the Twitter timeline. If something has happened in the sports world, I have seen it over the last 10 days and I get my cast off uh, coming up on Thursday. So if there's anything else that happens in the next five days, I will also see it anyway, brutal, but let's, let's start here. Uh, after my story, we talked about Embiid not being the only one to have surgery. Uh, that was me. But now let's talk about the only one that actually really matters that you guys care about. And that's Joel Embiid. He goes down, knee surgery. It almost felt like this 65-game requirement, which we've talked about before, which I think it comes from a good place, 
It was a good thought. Obviously, the league doesn't, like, they don't want their star players sitting if they're available to play. That's why it was put in. The only problem with it is that this directly affects contract incentives because they're linked to this. Like, Tyrese Halliburton is the perfect example for this. He had a bad hamstring injury. He's up for a Supermax contract. He can't get that contract if he doesn't play 65 games because he won't make an All-NBA team, which he will. So he rushes back early. He gets hurt again. He was just on J.J. Reddick's Old Man in the Three podcast, and I love what they said. It's a couple-minute-long clip, but it's worth hearing from Tyrese himself. Take a listen. Did you feel like a sense of urgency to come back sooner than maybe? Yeah, no question. You did. Yeah, what? And then that... Not from like our medical staff, but or, or no, like for that. sure. But like from like a fifty-three million dollar incentive. Yeah, type what? Type like I, I thought I was ready to go for the Portland game, and so did our medical staff. Everybody agreed, um, but I don't think it, if this was never the case, I might have been like another week. Yeah, maybe give it another game or two. You know, let me let me think more through this. Like, let's try to be one hundred percent. And even now with this whole, I've had a minutes restriction now for the last two weeks, yeah. and. It's what's been, your, what's your, it's a 25? It's changed. I mean, it started yeah. at 20 yeah. and then it's ramped up and it's been fucking terrible. So I think I've just been, been frustrated by it completely, but I understand where the league is coming from. Listen, at the end of the day, I'm a fan of basketball. Like everybody is. We want the best players to play. Um, but realistically, like we talked about earlier, there's only a couple of us that, that this could hurt financially. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we can all agree the intent was good for sure. It felt like last year, the the load management conversation really just hit a fever pitch. Yeah. And it, w when you're actively doing something that is turning off your fans and making them angry, I don't think you really have a choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like for if sure. if if you are the product, the league, the game, the players, the pro that's the product, right? And the consumer is saying, "I really hate this part of your product." you have to listen to your consumer. So you have to actively try to correct whatever is wrong with your product. For sure, 100%. And, and like you said earlier, if this didn't come down to... So which is why I'm saying yeah. I don't like the rule. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would think if a team says, you're our guy, we want to pay you the super max, we're going to invest in you. And if you make the All-NBA or whatever incentive they want to attach to it, over the course of this contract, while you're in our uniform, you get the Supermax. Yeah. Now, if you say, uh, we're going to sign you to this $260 million deal, and you have five years to make an NBA, and two years into it, you request a trade, well, that negates any chance to get the Supermax, mm -hmm. right? It, there's got to there's be some give and take on both sides. I just fundamentally don't like this, that it's just based on one year. If you want to incentivize contracts to performance, I'm okay with that. But putting it all on one year doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you had signed the contract and it was like during the course of this contract, if you make All NBA, or even if you made it twice, you have six years to do it, right? Yeah. Then you get the supermax. I think that's a better route, right? Because you're you're gonna be pressured into playing too soon. Like you said, I mean, the intent is correct, and I don't, and I think people misconstrued my words to say like act like I don't. Like, oh, I don't care about fans. Like, we don't need to play. Like, no, I want to play 82 games if I if I can. But, I mean, that's just not how the cookie crumbles right now. I love what Tyrese said. I agree with what Tyrese and JJ were saying. And 
we kind of got sidetracked here because we're talking about Joel Embiid, but without a doubt in my mind, I feel like he came back a little bit early because of this, whether it's a 65-game requirement, whether it was a little pressure from the media, whether, like, he is tapped in. Joel Embiid is tapped in. He knows what he is doing. He's a very calculated and smart human being. And I think that this requirement, for better or for worse, I think that's part of the reason he came back. Anyway, so Embiid has a procedure done on his knee. The talks are that he's coming back this season. We'll, we'll talk about that once we get into the uh, the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, just a total bummer. The way that we go out, I mean, honestly, if we're talking about Joel Embiid, honestly here, he has had a nice little stretch of regular season health. The last couple playoffs, yeah, some freak accident happens and he gets a little bit banged up. But regular season-wise, he's actually been relatively healthy. And for this to happen when he is having the most efficient, dominant offensive season maybe ever, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. So uh, let's talk about the deadline because a lot happened, specifically in Philly. We'll start at the top. Furkan, Morris, and three seconds go to Indy for Buddy Heald. He is finally a sixer. We'll talk about him more in a second, but that wasn't the only deal that the Sixers made. Daniel House to Detroit. And then the two that I think caught everybody off guard, Jaden Springer to the Celtics, Patrick Beverly to the Bucks. We bring in campaign, some picks, and then Philly signs uh, Philly native Kyle Lowry after he's bought out by the Hornets. Here's my initial thoughts. We'll start with Buddy Heald. I am blown away, and maybe this is ignorance, coupled with him playing in a system in Indy and Sacramento that didn't allow him to blossom. But I am blown away at his playmaking ability. We knew that he was a shooter. We knew he would come in right away and be a shooter. And yes, he's got the ball in his hands a little bit more in Philly under Nick Nurse, where the offense is kind of free-flowing and allows him to be more of a creator. But that's exactly what he's doing, and it's awesome, and I'm blown away. He's getting to the bucket. He's distributing. He's taking guys off the dribble. He is a shot. Yeah, he's a shot maker, but he is a shot creator, and I did not know that he had this type of creation in his bag, and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that he's in a Sixers uniform. I've, I've been team buddy for a long time, so to have him actually in Philly, I love it. I hated the Patrick Beverly trade initially a lot. Not only did it seem like he was the perfect fit in Philly, but he loved it, and he was playing well. He loved being in Philly. He loved playing with Embiid. He loved it all. And we know this is true because he has a podcast where he is very, very outspoken and was Embiid's biggest fan. He talked about it every single episode. Now, just a couple days ago, Pat Beverly gets back on the mic and tells this little story about how Tobias Harris gives him a phone call and I'm not even going to try to paraphrase it. Just listen listen to his story for yourself. Bias on the phone, he's like, yo, what's the biggest difference? I'm like, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win. It's not about stats. It's not about numbers here. It's not about who gets the ball. Everybody here wants to win. Now, people immediately jumped all over this and assumed that he was talking about Joel Embiid with the stat thing and Embiid's 30 and 10 streak going on. But again, I'm not I'm not buying that for a second because we have heard Patrick Beverly talk so often and so regularly and frequently about Joel Embiid 
and how he's his biggest fan. I think I tweeted this when this clip first came out, but I just think this it's Pat Beverly, right? We know what he's doing. He's a textbook pander. In all of professional sports, he's got to be on the Mount Rushmore of, of pandering. Wherever he goes, he becomes a fan favorite. He does it for a reason. And, again, I think that was part of the reason everybody was so salty that he left. But, again, the dust settles a little bit. I think everybody sees what we have in Buddy Healed and sees the vision and sees what Daryl Morey was seeing. And we just replace Patrick Beverly with campaign who let me give him his flowers because it's only been four games, but campaigns actually played really well. Now, what is that going to look like with Kyle Lowry coming and making his debut with DeAnthony Melton actually getting healthy and coming back? Who knows? But I will say we get a second and campaign just to replace. I will miss Beverly in the locker room. I will miss that dog attitude. I will miss, honestly, him and Morris, like two absolute dogs, and they're both gone. But uh, all in all, I think that I feel good. I think that I can speak for the majority of Sixers fans with the dust settling a little bit and saying, okay, you know what? I think Daryl actually did his thing. I think Daryl cooked a little bit. We all jumped the gun, and he really actually pulled through. Leave it to Daryl. The dude always does. At the trade deadline, there's not a single other GM who's going to go out and be as aggressive as Daryl Morey. Every single deadline. And that's exactly what he did. But, I re- uh, again, I hope that we get to see the three-headed monster that is Buddy Heald, Tyrese Maxey, and Joel Embiid on the court together this season. I am of the firm belief that the Sixers plan on, unless something crazy happens, Sixers plan on signing Buddy Heald, doing some type of deal, or they don't go out and make this trade. And guess what? Even if they don't, who do we give up? Some seconds. Ferk, who's been begging to get out of Philly <laughs> bless his heart for what feels like an eternity and Morris like come on but I'll be shocked if we don't re-sign Buddy Hill truly and and I just I don't know maybe that's my my just the optimism side of things but I genuinely think that Embiid comes back I don't know when I don't know what that's going to look like I don't know what like the ramping period is going to be before the playoffs but I, I like to I like to think that that's that's what's going to happen that's the game plan with Embiid but I'm not going to hold my breath, especially because I have asthma, and I'm not looking to do that. I want to tell you about the easiest way to get some action on the NBA. It's Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or least favorite player's stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can also pick from Rivals, which pits two players against each other for a head-to-head matchup. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players to fill out your pick'em slip, get every pick right, and take home some cold, hard cash. Use the code TBF24, that's TBF24, and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 by Underdog. Underdog Fantasy, the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. attorney said we needed to create an ad and tell people to stop snorting buffed so here you go don't snort buffed (laughs) killer energy too powerful for a can made with three organic mushrooms four nootropics b vitamins electrolytes and caffeine and flavors that it doesn't taste like dirt it's refreshing and delicious buffed calling all golfers do you have a problem three putting 
If you said no, you were either in complete denial or you're just a straight up liar. Jokes aside, and in all reality, who doesn't? It's inevitable. We're all three putters. Well, let me introduce you to a new lifestyle brand for golf that is made for us. The Three Putt Golf Company. Golf gear that meets the average golfer where they are, but looks like a professional brand. The first drop sold out in hours, but more are coming. Keep an eye out for the drop, discounts for That's Ball Folks listeners, giveaways, and more. Three Putt Golf Company. Everybody three putts look good doing it. Are you sick of spending time caring for your lawn? Have you spent too much time mowing it or even just keeping it alive? Are you tired of wasting resources and money watering it? If you are like me, the answer is yes to all of those. You should consider artificial grass. Beehive Turf out of Northern Utah will transform your yard into looking beautiful all year round. Check out Beehive Turf on Instagram. Give them a call today for a free quote. Beehive Turf, take the sting out of caring for your lawn. about all-star weekend again it just ended there are a lot of thoughts a lot happened let's just start at the top of their very first event and that was a celebrity game it's one of those things that is a brutal watch every single year but it would be the funnest thing ever to play in uh if i wasn't stuck in front of my tv resting my leg elevated uh there's not a chance in hell that i would have watched it but i did and here's my takeaway puka nakua former byu cougar former Washington Husky, former Orem Tiger, and current Los Angeles Ram receiver who shattered every single rookie receiving record. That dude can really play. Like, not just for a celebrity game. He can actually hoop, like for real. Mika Parsons won the MVP, but Puka is a real hooper. Awesome. Also, I had this thought. If you're an NFL team, I would absolutely hate watching your guys play in this. Like, you would be holding your breath the entire single Entire time, every single quarter, just like, please, please, please don't. Because those dudes try hard. They, I'm not calling them try hards, but they actually hustle. They really try. And I'd be terrified that they'd actually get hurt. Anyway, next event, the practice. I attended the practice last year when All-Star was in Salt Lake City, and it was honestly torture. It was terrible. But I'm sure you guys have seen the clips of some of the shots that Luca made. And if you haven't, find them. He hits two in a row. From half court, where he launches them in the sky, they basically almost touch the bottom of the Jumbotron. Then he calls one shot, he says bounce. Launches it, same height, bounces once, uh, bounces and goes in. It's amazing. That mixed with Steph's like full court tunnel shot last week, it just shows you that these dudes are on such another level entirely talent-wise. It like is hard to even wrap your head around it. And, and we'll revisit this, these Luka shots, um, in a second because uh, it just spitballing some ideas of maybe how to spruce up and revamp All-Star Weekend. Uh, keep that in mind. The next event, the skills competition. Fine. Nobody really tries. Wasn't that fun to watch anyway. The hometown team wins. Whatever. Three-point contest. Also kind of fun-ish. There's like a four-way tie for first after the first round, so they had to go to... Uh, sudden death shoot-off, Dame ends up winning it, goes back-to-back. This, well, actually, we'll talk about that in a second. We'll do the dunk contest. The dunk contest is probably the worst one that I've seen, uh, at least in recent memory. Mac McClung deserved to win it. He's the only one who did anything cool and new. 
The NBA and the judges tried to force-feed Jalen Brown on us, who literally didn't do a single thing besides in-game dunks that he's done his entire career and that 90% of the NBA can do anyway. His one twist, he put a glove on his left hand. <laughs> that was... That was it. That was his big, that was his move. Brutal. Look, I can appreciate Jalen Brown and the thought of like, yo, we got to get some, Not he never said this, but like getting some more high profile talented players in the dunk contest, it's become a lost art. I mean, the days of growing up, the Vince Carter, that's the greatest slam dunk contest of all time. And maybe it's just because that was like the heyday of me watching it um, in my childhood, but like the Vince Carter days. And that slam dunk contest where actually like Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Steve Francis, these dudes were in it. So I can appreciate Jalen Brown and the sentiment of him trying to do it. But, man, he did not bring the heat. It was brutal. And we'll talk about this one. Probably the event of the night, if we're not if we're not kidding ourselves here. It was the three-point contest between Sabrina Ionescu and Steph Curry. Now, those who remember Sabrina, she put up. 37 out of 40 possible points in the WNBA three-point contest. It is the greatest three-point contest uh, performance and showing that we've ever seen. Men's, women's, it doesn't matter. It was the best. And I love this. Sabrina decides that she wants to shoot from the NBA three-point line, um, which is fantastic. I love that she did that. But people like Kenny Smith, uh, they still just had to give her a hard time. So she puts up 26, which again would have been tied for first with all the other guys if she was actually in the three-point contest. Steph ends up going second, wins. I think he had like a 29 or something. He's the greatest shooter of all time. Both of them are winners, though. The only loser in this entire thing and the entire night was Kenny Smith. Just bashing the event the entire time, belittling and talking negatively about literally every player and everything. It was brutal. Reggie Miller was even calling him out in the middle of it. I mean, like, dude, do you even watch? It was awful. And while I'm not as out on Kenny Smith as I am on Charles Barkley, uh, Chuck said some things at this weekend as well that were a little brutal. I just think the NBA needs to take a maybe a little bit closer of a look at who is commentating and representing their game because Chuck's making comments in the middle of the game, like crushing Kevin Durant, backhanding him, giving these like, yeah, he's a follower, he's a follower, just saying all these negative things about him, bashing Kevin Durant, bashing San Francisco. I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird to listen to these guys who all they do is just run their mouth and badmouth the game that we love. I don't know. It, it just felt weird. It felt very weird. And then there was the actual game. What a oh man. What a snooze fest. And here's the deal. I don't know what you can do to fix it. It's brutal. They just don't care. It, and it, honestly, all sports have kind of come across this in the in the last few years. The NFL at least found their fix by switching it to a flag football game, and that actually works. They lean into it being kind of silly and dumb, and it works. The MLB, they've messed around with some stuff. They played for home field in the playoffs. What a great idea. That worked. That stuff's fun. But I don't know what the fix is for the NBA, honestly. I, and I talked about this earlier. I think the entire weekend just needs a little revamping, if we're being honest with ourselves. I don't think a single human being disagrees with that. It almost seems like it's more of an inconvenience for the players to be there than it is for them not to be. And the coaches. Doc Rivers is out there pissed as can be that he had to be there. It's just weird, man. And anytime there's anything like this, maybe this sounds funny, but anytime there's anything like controversial or something's happening in the basketball world, I 
always look at what Kobe said about it because he said a lot about a lot. And conveniently enough, he talked about this exact thing on the Players' Tribune podcast with Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson. Take a listen. I think the All-Star game in general needs a little revamping because it used to be competitive. Yeah. It used to be competitive. And, like, you know, fans want to see the best pickup game in the world. That, yeah. That's what this is. They don't yeah. want to see you running up and down and dunking and doing all this crazy. Like, they want to see the what happens when you get this collection of best basketball players on the planet and they play and they go head up against each other. Man. Yeah. I mean, you guys play harder at a pickup game in UCLA. For real. And ain't billions of people watching. For real. Definitely do. You know what I'm saying? Definitely do. Leave it to Kobe to actually nail this on the head again, right? The dude is never wrong. <laughs> he never was wrong. But uh, again, he nailed it. People want to see the greatest pickup game on the planet. I loved what he said where he's like, look, in the offseason, dudes play harder at UCLA runs than they do right now. I don't know. I don't know how you fix this. I really don't. Maybe you remove the all-star game and just do events. Maybe one event you could add is that like a one-on-one tournament and the the winner gets a million bucks or something. You've seen all the clips of them at Team USA camp and Team USA practice. You get a couple dribble limit and you set up some type of knockout tournament. That would be fun. That would be must watch. And remember talking about those Luca shots. How is there not a game of pig or something set up? It's dumb. It's silly. But the dudes clearly take and make insane shots and they're goofing off during the game anyway. Why not set up a game of pig? I would tune in for that. I don't know. Just some ideas, but I, I legitimately don't know how you fix it. Speaking of ideas, <laughs> my guy Garrett Hadley, uh, shout out. He had some suggestions he tweeted. Ways to improve the game. Uh, first one, play shirts versus skins. <laughs> Second one, winning team. Each player gets a million bucks. Again, we've talked about the money incentive. I actually like that. Losing team. Each player has to amputate a toe. Uh, n- the next one. One player on each team has to be blindfolded. And if they're able to score, it's worth 25 points. <laughs> and the last one. Fans do the wave from tip-off until the final buzzer, including both team benches, announcers, and officials. <laughs> Look, I don't hate these ideas because we need to come up with anything else. And those made me laugh, so I thought I'd share. But... Yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. It, again, it's all-star. So if you, if you went in expecting something crazy, you're going to be disappointed. I went in knowing what I witnessed in person last year in Salt Lake and thought, okay, I'm not setting the bar very high because I know what I'm getting into, and I was still pretty disappointed. Mainly disappointed in the commentating and the bashing and the actual product. It sucked. It sucked. And I am a positive person who looks for the positive in everything, and it was a downer. It was a downer. I hate to say it. I don't know what the fix is, but something needs to happen. Um, okay, we'll talk about this. Only a couple other topics left. And then, obviously, um, we'll talk about what is up and coming post-All-Star break. But I wanted to talk about Caitlin Clark, man. She is simply amazing. And I have been very outspoken about this for a while. But there is not a better time than right now to start watching women's hoops. Seeing Caitlin Clark break the NCAA women's scoring record was truly everything I could have hoped and more. Seeing her do it in the way that she did, pulling up in transition from 35 feet, just the logo, deep three, is perfect. It was perfect. She finishes the night with 49, just simply amazing. 
It's amazing what she has done for the game. Every single time I tweet something out about her, I'll get a few idiot comments in the set, like in my replies, just being like, "Oh, just bashing her." And I didn't get that at all when she broke the record. Not a single one. I think that people truly are realizing what she is doing and how special it is. And for the casual basketball fan, I think that's more than enough because, again, they're paying attention, and that's fantastic. But leave it to the national media to have the dumbest take of all on this. Here's former Duke great Jay Williams and his take that had me and the rest of the entire country shaking our heads, just dumbfounded. Listen to this. I think she is the Stephen Curry of women's college basketball. I think she has changed the dynamics of the way the game is played. I think the way she plays, the pizzazz, is like she's probably the most prolific scorer the game of basketball has ever seen. Unmatched. I am, I am unwilling, and maybe it's more the, the Kobe mentorship around me, to say that she is great yet. I think she is the most prolific scorer the game has ever seen. I hold great or the levels of immortality or the pantheon to when you win championships. I'm just, that's just me. So Diane Taurasi, when you win three consecutive championships, two-time national player of the year, it has to, it has to culminate with the chip. It has to. I mean, Brianna Stewart, if we're talking about GOAT legends of the game, she's won four chips. Four chips, multiple national players of the year. So I'm not saying that she's not at a high, high, high level, but for it to go to the states of immortality, in my opinion, it has to culminate with your team winning a championship. I mean, where, where do I even begin with this? We'll start here. To even bring up Kobe Bryant here is infuriating. He says that he's unwilling to call her great because of a Kobe mentorship. If Kobe were still here, I would absolutely guarantee you that he would have been front row with his family to witness Caitlin Clark break the record. It's completely insane to bring Kobe into this at all, period. Also, to win championships to get his approval is such a lazy take. He talks about UConn and their run of winning all these national championships in a row. My argument of what makes her so great is the exact opposite of this, actually. The fact that she decided to not go join one of these schools and to stay home, play at Iowa, make them relevant, that's what makes her so great and makes what she's done so great. You know how easily it would have, like, how just simple and easy it would have been for her to go to another school like LSU? or Yukon or South Carolina, she'd have four straight right now. But what makes her great is the fact that she has done it in her home state for her home school with, not to knock her teammates, but with nobody. That makes me mad. Leave it to the dude who, who went to Duke to hit us with this too. Duke, not Iowa. And Jay Billis, the just constant voice of reason, who I love almost everything he says, he had this to say, uh, to, to counter Jay Williams, which is worth listening to. He is okay. great. Now, okay. He's great. Now, now we, we, can, we can argue, what we can argue greatest. Is she the greatest? We could say Diana Taurasi or Lynette Woodard, and Lynette Woodard's got something to say about the all-time scoring record, too. But she's a cultural phenomenon yes. unlike anything we've ever seen in, in basketball, in my view. And it goes beyond just the scoring record. She's not just elevated the women's game. She's elevated the game. And in that regard, we'll not see her like again, in my judgment. She, she's been incredible for sports, for basketball. Can, can you imagine the young girls that are looking at her right now and dreaming in a way that they've never dreamed before about the game? Uh, she's been absolutely remarkable. And great, in, in my view, great isn't even a discussion. We can argue about greatest, but we can't argue about great. 
Just the perfect way to put it. Jay Billis nailed it. That was perfect. What a stupid, stupid thing of Jay Williams to say. But as a girl dad myself, what an awesome weekend and week, really, to have Caitlin Clark do what she did, breaking the record, and Sabrina Inescu jumping in here on NBA All-Star Weekend and having a three-point contest with Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time. It was awesome. Loved every second. All right, we'll end with this. And I want to kind of do each episode from now until March Madness starts. I want to highlight one school for you to keep your eye on or one player from a school to keep your eye on. Um, I'm a big college basketball fan. March Madness is fantastic. And this week, I want you and to focus on, and I want to talk about the University of Alabama. They might be the funnest school in the entire country to watch. And here's why. They do not play a lick of defense and they light it up offensively. They're the fastest offensive team in the country. They have scored 100 or more points eight times this season. It's the second most in SEC history. They are going to do it again. They're currently sitting at 18-7. and seven. They are ranked 15th in the country, 10-2 and two in SEC play. Every single dude on that roster can play and score, and they get everybody involved. It is fun to watch. It's extremely exciting. And mark my words, they are going to be a fun team to watch come March Madness because they will be in it. So keep your eye on University of Alabama. That's all I got. Again, a fun welcome back episode. I know I covered a lot. Got to talk about a lot. Um, I appreciate your patience with me. <laughs> Again, I've got a lot of very kind notes and a lot uh, of people who've reached out through my injury and everything like that. Just uh, asking, checking in on me, making sure I'm doing okay. And then I've had some people ask about, Hey, where are the, the newest episodes? So hopefully this answers some questions, clears up some, some, uh, some concern. Um, but I'm excited to be back to it. So it'll be good. As I mentioned, I get my cat, my hard cast off next week and I'll be a boot and a long ass road ahead of me for recovery, but, uh, I won't complain about it. Uh, what's up for the Sixers next? They've got a game on Thursday, the day I get my cast off. Hallelujah. Um, home game against the Knicks, which will be great. And then back-to-back, uh, -back, another home game with the Cavs, followed by the Bucks, Celtics. Man, it's it's uh, they're thrown back into the fire. Um, they just need to keep their head above water. They need to weather this storm until Embiid can actually come back. My nightmare is that they drop into that play-in, Embiid comes back, something happens, and it's like, well, great, wasted season. Again, maybe I'm just being hopeful and too optimistic here, but I genuinely feel like he's coming back. We just got to weather the storm until then. So that's that's what's on the docket and what you can look forward to Sixers-wise. Um, I will be back again. I'll be back next week, episodes every Monday moving forward, uh, whether I've got a healthy leg or not, it's happening. Love you all. Hope you have a great week. Feel free, like, subscribe, review, do all that fun stuff. And uh, we'll chat with you next week. That's ball, folks.